The Matheson Pensions Podcast. Presented by Deirdre Cummins, partner in the Employment, Pensions and Benefits Group at Matheson. This podcast series examines the topical legal issues affecting the operation and management of occupational pension schemes in Ireland and is relevant to pension scheme trustees, employers, pension practitioners and industry professionals. Please note, since this podcast was recorded, the Data Protection Bill has been published, which proposes a derogation for the processing of health data in connection with pensions. The Madison Pensions Group will continue to update you in relation to this legislation as it develops. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Matheson Pensions podcast. I'm Deirdre Cummins and I'm a partner in the Employment Pensions and Benefits Group at Matheson. I'm joined today by my colleague Jane McKeever, an associate in the group. In the last episode, we discussed the General Data Protection Regulation and its implications for pension schemes and in particular for pension scheme trustees as data controllers. Given the level of interest in that episode and the continued focus on GDPR compliance, we thought it might be useful in this episode to deal with some of the questions that have been raised since the last episode. Jane, the first question that we've been asked by a number of trustee groups is whether in situations where trustees do not actually handle personal data themselves, are they data controllers for the purposes of the GDPR or are they more properly categorised as data processors? Right. So the GDPR introduces some significant new obligations for data processors and it also introduces data processor liability in certain circumstances. But it is very much the case that under the GDPR, it's data controllers that remain the entity with most of the obligations under the legislation. So when you consider that, I suppose it's not that surprising that trustees would seek to be treated as data processors rather than data controllers, if that's possible under the legislation. And I think there's probably an element of uncertainty that has arisen around the correct treatment because It's certainly the case that in certain schemes, data would be transmitted directly from the employer to the administrator and then the trustees aren't handling it and they might see that they are more properly treated as data processors. So in looking at how they should be correctly treated, I think the first point to note is that the concept of a data processor hasn't really changed under the GDPR. So it's very much the same as it was under the Data Protection Acts. That means really that if you were a data processor under the Data Protection Acts, you probably still are. And the same is true for data controllers, in so much as if you were previously treated as a data controller, it's almost certain that you're still a data controller under the GDPR. So in practice, if you're trying to figure out which you are, it's control usually as opposed to possession of personal data that is the determining factor when you're deciding which of the two you are, a data controller or a data processor. And if you think about the way that a pension scheme is run, You have the trustees taking in the personal data, really deciding what personal data they need to hold for the purposes of the scheme. And then they are the ones directing the administrators and other service providers as to how to use that personal data. Although the administrators might go ahead and issue personal benefit statements or leaving service forms as a matter of course, it's the trustees in the first place that directed them to do that. So realistically, they are the data controllers for the purposes of the GDPR and they're not going to be able to get around that categorisation and are going to have to deal with their responsibilities under the legislation. Now, given that trustees are data controllers, it's clear that they are going to have an enormous amount of work to do without putting too fine a point on it 
to get ready before the 25th of May. And what I'm hearing from a lot of trustee groups is this just seems like such an enormous task. How are we supposed to get started and really how are we supposed to break this down? Yeah, it can certainly seem like a very daunting prospect for trustees. And I think the best way to approach it is to break it down into distinct and to the extent you can clearly defined stages and then to break those stages further down into steps so that you can manage it or get a handle on it. And I've broken it down into three distinct stages, if you like, and they are stage one, which is the education analysis and assessment, which is effectively trying to figure out what is going on in the pension scheme. Stage two, which is decisions on compliance measures and implementation. So effectively what you're going to do to implement the GDPR. And then stage three, which is maintaining compliance, effectively how you're going to ensure that you remain compliant with the GDPR. Okay, that makes sense. So you're breaking it down then into more manageable chunks that trustees can start to get to grips with. Can you go through in a bit more detail then what each of those stages would involve? I can. But before I do that, actually, I would like to say before we jump into the detail that trustees really should sit down with their advisors before they commence any kind of GDPR project, because it is quite a big project and they should maybe set out the parameters of that project before they start. But turning back then to the stages, as I said, stage one is education, analysis and assessment. And I think the very first action that trustees should take is that they should ensure that they have some level of understanding of the GDPR and how it applies to them in practice. Now, this is relatively easy to achieve, I suppose, and you could do it by holding a training session or attending a series of talks or something like that and make sure that the relevant points of the GDPR are hit or are addressed. The next piece then is the analysis, and this really is the big piece in practice because The trustees must analyse the current state of play and how things are currently done. And what that means effectively is that they need to look at the data that's being processed and how it is being processed. And obviously they can't do that alone. They can't do that in isolation. So they have to reach out to their processors, their administrators, their service providers and ask certain questions and request information and basically get them involved as soon as possible. So once that stage is complete, and that can take some time, then comes the assessment piece. So once the information has been gathered and the trustee is trying to get a clear picture of what is actually happening in the pension scheme. So when they've established the clear picture and armed with their GDPR knowledge from their education session or whatever it might be, and also in conjunction with their advisors, hopefully you can identify the gaps that have been spotted the steps that need to be taken to ensure compliance and how those steps then should be executed, if you like. Okay, so essentially you're educating yourselves, drawing in the information and really having a good think then about given what you've brought in and what you're looking at, what else needs to be done. So are you moving on then to stage two? Exactly. So once stage one is complete, then you must decide how best to comply with the relevant GDPR obligations that have been identified. Now, I would say here that no one size fits all and that sometimes there probably are a number of different options available to achieve compliance. So again, it's important for trustees to sit down with their advisors and to map out the changes that need to be made, whether that's to the operations and systems or potentially to the contracts or their policies, or even maybe to the appointment of different service providers, depending on what has been turned up in the education and analysis stage. 
And once those decisions have been made, then you can move on to implementing the decisions effectively. Effectively. And it it seems quite obvious. But what I would say about this implementation stage is that this can be a very intensive stage and there can be an awful lot of work to be done. So what we would usually advise trustees in this instance is to prioritise areas of risk and liability. But they also need to be mindful of things like budget, resources, timeframes, because there can be several streams of work going on in this implementation stage, such as, you know, reviewing policies and procedures, renegotiating contracts, conducting like assessments, training and workshops of other trustees and that kind of thing. So you really kind of need to map out the implementation stage and don't underestimate how intensive or how many streams of work might be involved in that. Okay, and I think then the last stage you mentioned in terms of the three-step process was maintaining GDPR compliance. And that's not a topic that we've touched on previously. And I know it's not something that a lot of trustee groups would have given a lot of time to. The focus really at the moment seems to be on getting to the 25th of May and putting in place the procedures, etc., that are required to get to compliance by that point. But I suppose that's not the end of the task. There's going to be a bit of work to be done on an ongoing basis to maintain compliance with GDPR. Is that fair? Absolutely, that's fair. And I think once the decisions have been implemented to ensure compliance with GDPR, then the trustees need to put in place a system whereby those decisions are regularly reviewed. Now, again, we can help trustees to some extent with some of that review Like, for example, we can flag any guidance that has been issued or we can help them train new trustees as they come on board. And the other thing actually that strikes me that I would say about continuing compliance with GDPR is to ensure that it is an agenda item on trustee meetings and it should probably stay there for the foreseeable future to make sure that it's constantly at the top of trustees' heads for the next couple of months. You're listening to the Matheson Pensions Podcast. Okay, Jane, now that we've looked at some of the big picture stuff and what's involved in a compliance exercise with trustees, I'd like now to move to look at some of the more focused questions that we have, which focus on the more detailed elements of achieving compliance. And a question that has come up over and over again relates to the position regarding the legal grounds for processing and that potentially in a post-GDPR world, if I could put it that way, Will consent as a basis for processing ever have any relevance for pension schemes again? Yeah, this is a question that we are seeing a lot. It's a bit of a tricky issue, I think, particularly for pension schemes. So as we discussed on the previous episode of the podcast, you can't process members' personal data unless you've identified a legal basis for that processing. And I think in pension schemes, this issue has historically been glossed over to some extent, Certainly, there seems to be some confusion when I'm trying to get to grips with trustee clients now to say, what basis are you currently using for your various processing activities? They tend to come back to some kind of standard wording that may have been included, for example, in a member joining form. And they've taken that as the member having given consent to every processing activity that the scheme needs to carry out. So I'm not entirely sure, actually, that a lot of pension schemes have been operated really in compliance with the Data Protection Act's up to date. And this is a good opportunity for trustees to examine this issue and to bring it onto a good legal footing going forward. So in cases where consent has been relied on by trustees for processing, then the GDPR is complicating matters significantly. It's now going to be a lot more difficult to both obtain and maintain valid 
consent to processing. For example, it's clear under the GDPR that consent has to be active. It'll no longer be possible to infer consent from silence or a pre-ticked box or from inactivity. Another complication for pension schemes and for any other data controller is that data subjects have to be informed that consent can be withdrawn at any time. And it must be as easy for the data subject to withdraw the consent as it was to give the consent in the first place. So in practical terms, I think that means trustees are going to have to consider whether they can continue to rely on any existing member consents to processing that they already have. And given the new requirements under the GDPR, I think that's very unlikely to be the case. And assuming that existing consents cannot continue to be relied on, and assuming that trustees wish to avoid seeking consent for routine processing into the future, then the trustees need to sit down with their advisors and consider the processing activities that they undertake and what legal basis they can use for those processing activities. So as we discussed previously, there are two legal grounds that I think are going to come in particularly useful for trustees. The first of those is that the processing is necessary in order for the trustees to comply with the legal obligation. So when you look at a trustee's duties, for example, under the disclosure regulations, they're actually required to give members benefit statements, leaving service options, joining forms, trustee annual reports, all of those documents. So they can process members' data in order to provide those documents. Another one that might be useful is that the processing is necessary for the legitimate interests pursued by the trustees. That's perhaps a bit more difficult because it's subject to a proviso that that ground is not sufficient if the interests of the trustees as data controllers are overridden by the interests or fundamental rights and freedoms of the member. So that's clearly a bit more tricky and would have to be looked at on a case-by-case basis. So that all sounds like consent is never going to be the correct basis and that we're advising that trustees should never seek explicit member consent. But the thing I wanted to highlight is that while the new requirements mean that consent is unlikely to be appropriate basis to use for routine processing, in fact, consent is still appropriate and indeed it's required in certain circumstances. So in particular, trustees should note that the processing of special categories of personal data, and that was previously sensitive personal data, it's been expanded slightly, but it's data relating to matters such as a member's race, ethnicity or health or sexual orientation. That's only permitted in specified circumstances. And the most relevant of those for pension schemes is where the member has given explicit consent. So that means essentially trustees are still going to need explicit member consent to carry out certain activities such as, for example, processing health data in connection with an ill health early retirement claim. So I think what trustees need to do here is to consider what activities they are undertaking that might require processing of special categories of data. Then they need to think about how they're going to obtain consent from members in those circumstances. Then, Deirdre, staying with data processing, or really, I suppose, more accurately, data processors, another question that I'm seeing coming up is around data processing arrangements or agreements And what needs to go in the updated contracts that people are saying have to be put in place with data processors? Is that something you could expand on? Absolutely. And the first thing I'd say on that is that the GDPR sets out minimum requirements for data processing agreements. And trustees as data controllers are in breach of the GDPR if they fail to ensure that that mandatory content is included in the agreement. And that's important because it's different to the current regime. So while the current regime requires that for a data controller to do business with a data processor, a written contract must be in place, it does not mandate specific content 
apart from some security and other data protection safeguards. So the current requirements are not as extensive as what is proposed under the GDPR. And therefore, it's highly likely that whatever agreements are in place at the moment are probably not in compliance with the GDPR. So the trustees really do need to have a look at the contracts that are in place and see how they need to be amended. Under the GDPR, an agreement with a processor must address specific things. And just in summary, they are the subject matter and duration of the processing, the nature and purpose of the processing, the types of personal data and the categories of data subject and the obligations and rights of the controller. So that sounds fairly well contained in and of itself. But the GDPR then goes on to provide a long list of de minimis requirements that will apply to the contract between a controller and a processor. And Jane, without going into a huge amount of detail here, because I think actually everyone would be asleep, I want to mention a few of these to you to give you a flavour of the level of detail that the GDPR goes into in relation to these points. So the GDPR states that the contract must also provide that a processor must only process personal data on the documented instructions of the controller. They must ensure that any person authorised to process the data is subject to sufficient confidentiality provisions. They must also ensure that all measures required of them regarding the security of data processing have been complied with. And as I said, I could go on and on, but I will stop there because they are just the minimum requirements. And as you can see, there's a huge amount of detail required. The other thing the trustee should keep in mind when looking at the data processing agreements, whether they're renegotiating an agreement now or they're creating a new agreement from scratch, is that there are potentially other provisions which need to be included in the contract also. So in addition to complying with the provisions of the GDPR, there might have other commercial considerations that need to be addressed and that should not be forgotten when you're thinking about the content of a data processing agreement. Of course, and you'd expect that, I suppose, to be specific to the client and to their business and what they're doing. And Deirdre, what about apportioning liability then between data processors and data controllers? There seems to be an increased focus on this under the GDPR. And is it something trustees need to be thinking about? Absolutely. There is an increased focus on this. And, you know, the areas of risk and liability are very tricky areas. And because the GDPR is not yet in force, market practice around liability and in particular liability caps hasn't fully emerged. So we're kind of watching it at the moment and it's something that we'll continue to keep a close eye on in the next 12 to 18 months. What is new with the GDPR in respect of that is that data processors do now have liability for breaches, whereas before you would have always looked just to the controller. So essentially now you look to both and this could potentially lead to some tension in the relationship between processors and controllers. And that's most likely, I suppose, to manifest itself if you're renegotiating the data processing agreement. So in simple terms, just to give you a high level feel for this, the position under the GDPR is that controllers are liable for damage caused by processing, which infringes the GDPR. And then processors are liable where they act in breach of their obligations or act outside the instructions of the controller. So effectively, to summarise that, what you have in practice are joint and several style provisions where the processors and the controllers are held responsible for the entire damage and then they can apportion responsibility between themselves. The other thing to note that for either a processor or a controller to avoid liability, they must prove that they are not in any way responsible for the breach. 
right? And I suppose getting down to the core issue of it, what does that mean in terms of liability for trustees? You know, what is it going to look like in monetary terms? Is it a significant risk? Yeah, I mean, it, it can be. There is an administrative fines regime provided for under the GDPR and effectively what it is trying to do in its own words, to quote the GDPR, is to apply effective, proportionate and dissuasive sanctions. So under the GDPR, as you're probably well aware, because this has been covered extensively, a fine of up to 20 million euro or 4% of annual global turnover can be levied. But in my opinion, it's hard to see how a fine of that level would be imposed for anything other than the most egregious breach. And there are factors set out in the GDPR which should be taken into consideration when deciding the level of the fine. And they include things like, you know, the nature, the gravity and duration of the infringement, the remedial action taken by the processor, the controller, the categories of data affected. And again, I could go on and on. So you know, it's not just going to be 20 million or 4% and it will very much depend on the nature of the breach before liability can be assessed. The other thing I would say on this point, and I think sometimes it's missed in discussions, is that an individual now has right to compensation for both material and non-material damage. And the non-material damage piece of that is new in that individuals can now basically claim compensation for emotional distress caused by a breach. And that's just something else to bear in mind when you're considering issues of liability. Okay, so there's a few things there that trustees are going to have to keep in mind when they are reviewing their agreements that are in place with data processors. And I expect then that administrators and other service providers will also be talking to their advisors about how they should manage this from their side. And any updated agreements that they're providing to trustees will contain something covering these and and trustees will need to keep that in mind. Yes, that will definitely be happening and trustees do need to be alert and review any new data processing agreements that come their way. And they need to do that very carefully to ensure that they understand exactly what is happening in respect of liability. You're listening to the Matheson Pensions Podcast. Then moving on, Jane, if I can, another question that has come up a lot is in relation to the right to be forgotten or the right of erasure and whether trustees are required to delete data or whether in the context of pension schemes, this effectively is being blown out of all proportion, if you like. Yeah, this right to be forgotten, as it's being called, or it's essentially a member's right to request to have their data deleted. And it's understandably a matter of concern for trustees because if a member can say, go ahead and delete my data and trustees are obliged to do that, then how are trustees supposed to be in a position to pay the correct benefits to that member when the time comes to do that? So trustees are understandably wondering how that's supposed to be managed in the context of a pension scheme. Now, I think the first thing to note is that the right to have your data deleted is not an absolute right. Firstly, you have to satisfy one of a number of specified conditions before the request could be properly considered. And the one that trustees are most likely to see there is where the member has previously provided consent to their data being processed and they now wish to withdraw that consent and there's no other legal basis available for the processing. Now that feeds back to some extent to why you would avoid using consent as a legal basis for processing in the first place. But of course, it's slightly more complicated for pension schemes because in some situations, which is the the processing of special categories of personal data, 
you require that consent. And in those circumstances, it would seem that members could request trustees to delete that data and that trustees would have to comply with that request. Now, in reality, when you think about it, how many members are really going to make a request that's going to result in them not receiving their benefits? So I think to some extent, this is a bit of a red herring. I don't know how many individuals would actually take a step like that. I would also point out that there is provision in the GDPR for the government to provide an exemption for processing special categories of personal data where that processing is necessary in the field of employment and social security and social protection law. Now, it's not at all clear at this point whether anything will be done by the government on that front, but it's certainly a possibility and something that we'll have to keep an eye on. The other point, I suppose, that occurred to me when I was thinking through the right to be forgotten and how it could actually affect trustees and pension schemes is that, and this is perhaps an area that trustees mightn't have thought of as problematic, is where a member has left the scheme and has received their benefit and then maybe 10 years in they say, I want to have my data deleted. That might seem like a reasonable request to comply with. But what I'd caution there is that if you were to go ahead and delete that data, then it would be very difficult if that member was to come forward again in the future and say they hadn't received their benefit to actually demonstrate that, in fact, they had. So it's just a point for trustees to be aware of. And I would advise that trustees should certainly discuss the matter with their advisors if they receive a request from members to delete data. Jane, the other issue that's arising on data involves transferring data outside the European economic area and essentially the things to look out for if that's happening in a pension scheme. Yeah, I think this is going to be a relatively complicated matter for trustees and we are seeing it arise more and more often. And that's largely because administrators tend to be based here in Ireland when they're appointed by trustees, but they can often have servers or employees or data centres based outside the EEA. And it can be the case that data is being transferred there and then back into the country by those administrators or, or indeed other service providers. So what trustees need to be aware of is that transfers of member data or personal data relating to members or other beneficiaries is not permitted unless the country to which the data is being transferred either provides adequate protection or that other conditions that are laid out in the GDPR are met. Now, there are a number of ways of ensuring adequate protection, but I think what trustees need to be doing at this point is to raise the matter with their service providers, particularly with administrators, to find out if this is happening or if it's proposed. And as I said, I think this is going to become more and more of a common occurrence. And if it is happening or the administrator is proposing making such transfers, then we need to look at the data transfer agreements that are being proposed and ensure that they are compliant with the GDPR. So then, Deirdre, just to finish up, those were kind of the the more outlying questions, but this brings it back to the bigger picture to some extent. And an issue that is arising for trustees or, or that trustees are bringing to us as a query is how they should go about demonstrating compliance with the GDPR. That seems to be actually in the GDPR at a number of points as a requirement. This is a requirement under the GDPR and trustees as controllers must be able to demonstrate compliance with the principles set out in the GDPR relating to data processing. So briefly, they are, you know, lawful, fair, transparent. And in the GDPR, that's called accountability. And you will have seen a lot written about this concept of accountability of data controllers. So the trustees really do need to be alive to that and how they're going to demonstrate compliance. 
There are a number, I suppose, of other examples in the GDPR where they're required to demonstrate compliance as well. So it is something that they need to be thinking about. In terms of practically how you actually go about doing it, one thing I would say is that care should be taken to keep records of all GDPR compliance projects because let's face it, paper is always probably the best evidence if you're trying to show that you've done something. So, for example, if you have the education session at the start of your project, make sure that you keep a record of that, who was in attendance at that, the slides from that, all the rest of it. Another important point for trustees to note is that they should have a data protection policy and each of the trustee members on the board should be familiar with the contents of that policy. The other thing to say in conjunction or in connection with that is that GDPR should be an agenda item at trustee meetings. And I've said that before and I'll say it again, and it should remain there well into the foreseeable future. Other things that will help trustees in demonstrating compliance would be the revised contracts with their data processors or being able to show that steps were taken in conjunction with their processors to map data and figure out whether they are in compliance in the first instance with GDPR and the steps that were taken to rectify that. The other thing I'd like to mention just in connection with that point of demonstrating compliance is that in connection with this point under the GDPR, member states, supervisory authorities, the European Data Protection Board and the Commission are to encourage both the creation of codes of conduct for the proper application of the GDPR and the establishment of data protection certification mechanisms. So if you read the GDPR, a number of the articles make it clear that one of its aims is to enable controllers to demonstrate that their processing activities are indeed GDPR compliant by providing evidence of compliance with the relevant codes of conduct or the certification mechanisms, as the case may be. And a final comment on that is that being able to demonstrate good governance will militate against the risk of huge fines being imposed. And that's also important to bear in mind when you're a trustee of a pension scheme. Of course. So we'll keep our eye out, I guess, for those codes of conduct or the certification mechanisms as they come online. Absolutely. Yeah. That's all for this episode. And for more information and insights on GDPR, you can visit our website at matheson.com. If you would like to join our mailing list or if you have any queries on anything you've heard in this episode, you can contact us at pensions at Join us again next time. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Pensions Podcast. For more information, go to matheson.com forward slash pensions.